All right. Good morning, church. How are you guys today? All right, man, you guys are ready. Let's go. All right, we're going to pray real quick, and then we'll get started. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for these people in attendance today and those listening online, Lord. Um, I pray that um, these people, Lord, don't hear me, but hear you through me, um, that just like our bumper video said, that we are poured out for you, Lord. Um, like I said, bless this message, bless these people in attendance, in Jesus' precious name we pray, and we do all this for the our neighbor's good and the glory of God, in Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so today, let me get to my notes here. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is uh, Corey Smith, and I have the privilege of serving on the, the governance board uh, here at Canvas Community, but I also get the distinct privilege of bringing you uh, the message today. If you're joining us this morning, we've just finished up our Resurrection Rumor series um, that we've been in since about the Easter season. But let's, let's be honest, we never really stopped preaching Jesus Christ resurrected. But we're, we're kind of in this in-between series. Like Ryan said, he stole some of my thunder there with announcements. Um, the Dr. Moo lecture is coming up in a couple weeks, and hopefully you've made plans to join us for that. Um, and, but we're prepping for the season of charter church membership. Um, Matt's coming back to join us. He's out in Yellowstone now, but he's going to come back from Yellowstone to join us for that. So Ryan kind of gave me free range to uh, just preach whatever the Spirit kind of laid on my heart. So today we're, we're going to talk about something that's, I don't know that, it's not necessarily fun, but, um, I, I mean, I feel like I say that every time, but it's okay. But I think that the sermons are necessary in our church environment. Last week we talked about Saul, who, who, in his evolution of zealous Judaism to Christianity, was renamed Paul or the Apostle Paul. And the framework for that sermon was around this idea of certainty blindness, that we, we miss who Jesus is and, and what his mission is in our pursuit of always being right. And that, hopefully that hits you guys too. I was um, up here sobbing because, like, how many times have we been guilty of that? And I, from some of the posts I saw on uh, social media, I think that hit you guys as well. So that wasn't, in my mind, a fun sermon, but it was something we needed in, in our church community. The heart of this message, I think, ties to the heart of that message. Church, we can either help usher the kingdom of God more fully in this world, or I think we can be the biggest stumbling block for the world to see Jesus. Reread that church. We can either help usher in the kingdom of God more fully for this world, or we can be the biggest stumbling block for the world to see Jesus. So I think some things have been lost over the ages, and, and I think we're feeling some of the repercussions um, of that within our current church era, especially in the Western church. I, I had a friend. I had a conversation with a friend of mine this week, and I told them that I think the hardest conversations are often the most constructive. This is a hard conversation because, I'll be honest with you, I, I struggle with this. And I, I think a lot of us struggle with this. So it's going to be personal. I'm probably going to meddle. Heads up. But, but church, I, I want us to do better. I want to do better. I want you to do better. Not because we are better, but because I believe we serve a better king than this world has to offer. 
The ideas we're going to be wrestling with today are around the spheres of, of confession and repentance. But primarily, we're going to hinge on the why of those things, because I think the why, I, why I think they're so difficult for us to get over, why, why we don't care for those things. I, I think some of you even probably cringed a little bit when I said we're going to talk about confession and repentance today. But I think the why forces us to dig into um, the deepest parts of our heart. Confession and repentance will be secondary to the primary conversation today. I know that's weird for church language um, to make confession and repentance secondary, but stick with me. Last week we talked about, again, Saul asking the question of the resurrected Jesus, who are you and what do you want me to do? That's why we're here. We want to know more about this God incarnate in flesh, Jesus, and we want to know what to do next. So this, I think, adds more to the character of God in Christ and also gives us some reflections on what we are and what we're to do. In my brain, hopefully this sermon ties in those two questions. I'm going to tell you a little story about myself today, and it's uh, I'm not excited about that. I, I told my mom, like, she's probably not excited about that now either. But um, one, I got three reasons. Like any good speaker, I got three reasons. I'm not a fan of guys that get up here and just talk about themselves. Like, I'm putting that out there. I'm guilty of it today because, like, I'm a hypocrite. But, and two, hopefully it's not a story you're like, oh, man, story's awesome. Um, it, it's hopefully one you can identify with and help you resonate with the, the teaching today. And three, because I desire every one of my messages to be used of the Holy Spirit to envelop you and grow you in Jesus' personal mission for your life. And I love being able to serve you in this way by, by speaking and teaching. also want you to walk away realizing that I'm a broken person, only striving to cling to Jesus' righteousness. Because there is no goodness in me apart from God. And I think that that's where we, we have a misconception. That's true for any of us up here on stage. Any person who steps foot on the stage, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person on this stage is in need of a Savior, in need of an intercessor to stand for us and advocate for us before a holy God. See, we have found that in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, I'm a mess. And so is everyone else up here on stage. Um, I was having a conversation last week, and, and this idea that we as Christians are sheep, right? If, if you're familiar with that, right? But I think so often we don't correlate that with, with the teachers. We're sheep as well. We're just called to a different gifting. We're no better. I, I'm in just as much need of a Savior as everybody else. See, I made my profession of faith that Jesus at a very young age, my uncle's church in Baker, West Virginia, during vacation Bible school. Did all the right things. I raised my hand when no one was looking. I uh, come as you are was playing. Like, it was it was the perfect formula. So my grandfather actually took me backstage and, and, or in the back room and asked me some clarifying questions uh, to make sure I knew what I was doing. I was baptized a couple weeks later in my home church by a pastor I lovingly referred to as Pat. But when I was a teenager, when I was in my early 20s, I wasn't the guy up here on stage having a passion and desire to see people find and grow in Jesus. Um, I was someone who was wild, rebellious. I was just looking to have a good time. 
um, I rebelled against that idea of the turn or burn moral checklist was something I was supposed to do because that's what good Christians do. My parents enrolled me in a Christian school that I attended my whole life. We went to church there. I uh, went to school there. It was almost in every facet of my life. And in the 10th grade, I was kicked out of that school because of my actions and my rebelliousness. I wanted nothing to do with church because all I saw there were self-righteous hypocrites. I wanted nothing to do with the church for a long time. See, in those years, people had formed a reputation of me, and I had formed a reputation of them. Me as the backslidden Christian who wasn't willing to submit, and the church as a group of self-righteous goody-two-shoes who, that were isolated from the people Jesus has called them to disciple. It wasn't until Samantha and I approached Cap years later to do our wedding that I um, found my way back into church reforming some of the ideas that I had placed upon them. To set the stage for y'all, um, Pap had retired from the church I was expelled from a couple years before I was kicked out and had actually planted a new church several years after his retirement. Part of the stipulation of him doing the wedding was that we would attend this new church for six months before he would do our wedding. Hesitantly, I agreed. But, but in that six months, I had I'd found people that either knew of my reputation and didn't care or that knew nothing of me and I could form a new reputation. But importantly, I found a community that was willing to secede that they didn't have it all together, but that they were trying to. And that's really all the Spirit needed to show me. Genuine people willing to be authentic with each other, willing to be vulnerable, willing to talk through difficult topics together. So I don't know how else to tell you this, but like too often it's, preservation of our own reputations that makes us self-righteous or that makes us seem hypocritical because we're unwilling to show our weaknesses. But I, I think too often that's what we're trying to say. We're, we're trying not to tarnish this reputation that we have worked so hard for. Consciously or unconsciously, we want to protect our reputation. And like I said, if I didn't struggle with it, and if I didn't see it as an epidemic in the church, I wouldn't be talking about it. You guys are quiet out there, so I don't know if y'all are dealing with it or if I'm on an island up here. But the most constructive conversations, I believe, are often the most difficult. So we're going to talk today about reputation and how it should affect our Christian life and some of the pitfalls and sins around protecting it instead of being obedient to God. So some of the people from my past are still amazed that a person like me is up here preaching a sermon. Good, right. Thank you, Eric. But a funny story. Uh, so one time, Samantha and I were at a, at a birthday party, and someone who was a, a staff member at the old school I attended during my teenage years was there. And Samantha was telling her, he's like, oh, yeah, Corey, he's done a couple weddings there and funerals, and maybe even let him up to preach. And, and her response was like, it's still amazing to me that God uses people like that. And, like, real people, real lives, Samantha can go, like, zero to Jerry Springer show, like, real quick. She did not want me to say that, but. But I, I, that's what I want, right? In my weakness, Christ is glorified. And in my repentance, King Jesus is exalted. 
that's the heart of this message. That the Spirit really laid on this on my heart a couple weeks ago when I had to prepare a devotional for our monthly board meeting. And you'll kind of hear framework around Christian leadership, but it's it's not just Christian leadership. It's it's I think fundamental to the disciples of Jesus. I was perusing Facebook and I came across this post. Can we put the Hope Valley slide up? Doc's back there. There it is. My buddy Sam Rogers posted this for um, Hope Valley Church. It's not the reputation of our pastors, our church, or our services that we should be building. It is the reputation of Jesus. And I was like, man, this is so good. It seems like the perfect environment to talk about that. It seems like the perfect environment to talk about reputations, the good, the bad, and the pitfalls. It's not the reputation of our pastors. Like, I like Ryan a lot. But I'm not, he's a great speaker. He's super awesome and hip. It's not that. He dresses well. It, it's, it's not the reputation of our church. Bro, it's everyone's super friendly. It's not super churchy. It, it, it's not the reputation of our services. We're in and out in an hour. He never goes over. Kids' church, bounce houses. Wow. Right? See, those are not bad things, and I'm guilty of saying those things. But it is, however, how does that tie back to the reputation of Jesus that we're supposed to care about? Folks, this is how, the question is, how is Jesus' reputation being viewed through you? Ryan this morning read Titus and 1 Timothy 2 this morning during worship. And, and what I want to do today is, for us as a church, as a priesthood of believers, is to know and understand the responsibilities and the pitfalls of reputation. More specifically, striving for and systematically building or maintaining a reputation. How much, are we guilty of that? I'm going to say that again because I think it's true. Now, you guys are quiet, but that's okay. That we will strive for and will potentially sin for systematically building or maintaining a reputation. So the word translated as blameless in Titus 1.6 is a, a negletos. Dr. Moody's coming like in a couple weeks, so don't tell him I tried Greek. The next one's going to get real bad, right? The, the word for above reproach in 1 Timothy 3.2 is an epileptos. So spit that one back at me. But these two Greek words carry a meaning of that which nothing can take hold upon. The Bible commentator Adam Clark uses the illustration of a boxer. Are there any boxing fans in the house? <laughs> Jason's always the hype man. Just one. But, but just like a skillful boxer just defends every part of his body and gives their opponents no place to hit, so a blameless person or a person with a blameless reputation gives the outside world no true place to attack their character. And I would argue that the world will even still, with a truly blameless reputation, still attack the reputation. So the question is, who benefits from a blameless reputation? Does Jesus benefit from our blameless reputation? Do we give him glory for any good that might come out of us? Or do we benefit from it? How people see and engage with us largely depends on our reputation. See, brothers and sisters, the goal here is not to dwell on about our bad reputation 
or how to maintain a good one where I can give you five checklists and do these things and you're a good Christian. But instead, the question is, how do we as a body fertilize a Christ-like reputation? See, the warning is that we could focus on building a reputation or maintaining one for our own personal gain, which leads to a road to destruction. Or, can we put up Philippians 2, 5 through 7? Josh? If so, let's read this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, that is, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men. So we're going to focus in on this idea of Jesus having no reputation. But I wanted to take a few moments to exegete this verse so that we're all on the same page. I won't spend a ton of time here because I, I want to stay coherent to the message, but I think it's something definitely worth mentioning. Um, Ryan's got this cool thing, if you guys haven't followed it, on Instagram. What's it called? Cutting Room Floor? Yeah, Cutting Room Floor, where he kind of takes some of that. You do a lot of work to prep a message, and some of that extra stuff, you're like, man, this is good, but this doesn't fit. Um, so check that out. But, but Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Or as other translations put it, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. See, Jesus, we believe, is, is God. A third of the Trinitarian setup. See, this is important because not only did God make the world, but when we broke it, he put into place a correction for it, a redemption for fallen creation himself. See, God created the world for humans and God to fellowship together, and through that rebellion, we severed that connection. But God putting the payment of the rebellion on the shoulders of Jesus, onto the shoulders of himself in flesh, because we could never fully satisfy the justice of God on our own. See, God passed the judgment, but God also paid the penalty. See, what, if, what, what Jesus didn't do was cling to that advantage, that the the God of the universe, imagine this, the God of the universe that created us and everything in it allowed us to, to murder him on a Roman torture device so that he could bring us back into fellowship with himself. See, that's the God of love that, that he would justify mankind through our sinful murder of his son. I want you to set with that. And if anyone could use their reputation to sway opinions, it was Jesus, right? It was, it was God. But instead, he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, a human. Isaiah 53 tells us that the Messiah would have no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance would make us desire him. That he would be despised and rejected by mankind. So my goal here today is to host a conversation about reputation and potentially no reputation and how it intimately ties into how the world sees us and sees our king through our actions and words. So we as Christians are quick to call out heresy when it comes to words or doctrine. But why are we not so quick to call out heresy when it comes to the way we act? See, I want to address something I view as an epidemic in the church. And I'm using, when I say the church, I know it gets confusing. I'm talking to you guys and everybody else. But the, the, the capital C church, the, the world church, the global church, Unless 
your attention has been drawn elsewhere, you've probably seen some of the scandalous documentaries and series making their way around about church stories. Are we familiar with this? Y'all been under a rock in the church world stuff? Podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, documentary Hillsong Exposed, just to name a few. So there's a term out there that I want to make you all familiar with. It's a little bit spicy, so I'm going to give you the warning beforehand, but it's called failure porn. Are we familiar with this term? Have we heard it? No? Okay. So failure porn is used as a way to describe our fascination with, with something terrible, like not being able to look away from a train wreck or, or bottleneckers on the interstate that, that just want to slow down for the sake of curiosity. See, failure porn is often attributed to these types of church media because we excuse them as such. Church, I don't, I don't want us to excuse these critiques away as, oh, they're just failure porn. People love watching the church fail. That, that might be true, but what, but what I want is I want us to learn and grow from them because the world is watching how we, the capital C church, react. See, our neighbors are watching how we'll react. When it's wrong, it's important to acknowledge that we're wrong. And one of the worst things to happen is um, the inability for someone to admit fault. We've been there. Ooh, that's, that's rough. See, admittance of fault or confession isn't weak. That's why the, the like, they came out there. I challenge anyone that it takes more uh, courage and strength to do that than to hide something. See, if you can't, or most of the time unwilling, let's be be frank, to explain your faults through conversation with trusted people and hear their loving critiques of you and why you made these errors, they're going to lose your, they're going to lose faith in your ability to discern truthfully in the future, especially when that sin you've been hiding throughout your life. See, something that's confessed and repented of can't be used to accuse you any longer. It can be used to bring justice and accountability, but it can, you cannot be accused of something you've admitted. But why then do we hold on? Corey, why do you hold on? Because I value my reputation. But I'm, I'm trying to learn not to. See, I think we need to hold on to Jesus, not our vain reputation. In his reflections on Christian leadership, Henry Nowen refers to this as resisting the temptation to be relevant. Mm, that's a hard one. Can we put that up? Oh, he's already got it. I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. That is the way Jesus came to us to reveal God's love. See, this is not just a fundamental position of church leadership. I think this is a fundamental position of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me relieve you of some of this burden. We have the next slide, Doc. We are not called to be caretakers of our own reputation. We're called to be obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. See, if we obediently love our neighbors, speak truth in love, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, then our reputations or maintaining the ones we want should be of little consequence to us. Can we put up that slide of Hope Valley again, Doc? I love 
I do. I, I love my church. I want our church to succeed and grow. Maybe in depth before width, but but I want this thing to be a success. Um, part of the conversations we had in the it, church merger, um, part of the, the resonation I had with it is I want a generational church. I want something that... Uh, I can hand down to my children so that they can take up the mantle of Christ's work here in Winchester. See, Ryan and Michelle have done an amazing job at this um, thing about collaborating. So they meet up with local pastors once a month to eat and pray together. Hope Valley is one of those churches. Canvas Community is one of those churches. So I've got to know Sam through that. And uh, Sam Rogers is one of the pastors at Hope Valley. And I messaged him because I want to give credit where credit's due. And I was like, hey, man, thinking about preaching a sermon on this. Can I use your slide? And uh, he was like, yeah, man, for sure. Not only was he cool with me using this, he was cool with me not giving Hope Valley credit for this. He also offered me his sermon notes on it because he's like, man, I've already done the work. Here it is. And I was like, if you don't know this, that's that's big in the church world. See, people of no reputation that care about Jesus being proclaimed over themselves, that's what that is. So we all want our churches to succeed. We all want our friends to come to our cool churches. You know what I want more than that? I honestly would rather see the kingdom of God in Winchester as it is in heaven. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see poverty eradicated. I want to see the gospel of Jesus spread to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. See, it concerns me not if Corey plays a role in that. What concerns me is how do people experience the reputation of Jesus through me? I was, I got tell you a funny story. <laughs> I was driving down the road the other day and I had a million things going through my mind. And once I had collected my thoughts, there, there was this obnoxious sound, obnoxious, obnoxious sound. And it was a seatbelt dinger going off and I'd forgot to put my seatbelt on. I know, a lot of people, a lot of people. But I was so spaced out that I didn't even pay attention to the most annoying sound on the planet. The seatbelt dinger. Does anybody remember? I wanted to do a short, like, skit of, or a short video of it, but does anybody remember in Dumb and Dumber where Lloyd asked the guy in the middle seat if he wants to hear the most annoying sound on the planet? Let's go, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, that, that to me is the seatbelt dinger that won't cut off. It gives me, like, super anxiety. Like, it makes me a worse driver hearing it. But, but it got me thinking. Like, People that are in accidents that a seatbelt saved them from serious injuries are like, just make sure you put your seatbelt on. Probably wear a seatbelt all the time. I wear mine when I'm not even in the car. You're like, okay, that's, that's cool. And they're like constantly preaching seatbelt safety. Did I ever tell you about that time seatbelt saved my life? And you're like, yeah, man, I've heard it. And they never stop talking about the daggone seatbelt. I'm like, okay, you've had me enough. I'm putting it on. Like, please stop telling me about it. And whatever you do, just make the dinger go away. 
Every time you get in the car, they're like, right, put that on. And you're like, I'm in the process of putting it on. Cut me a break. But do you know who preaches seatbelt safety the loudest? People that recognize that the seatbelt saved their lives. You know who preaches Jesus the most authentically and vulnerable? People that recognize that they would be dead and lost in their sins apart from Jesus. Church, I want us to be seatbelt Christians. I want to be a seatbelt Christian. The ones that not only talk about Jesus all the time, but the ones that try to act like him too. See, I referenced some documentaries and some podcasts about the church earlier, kind of that epidemic I saw. And the epidemic I'm referring to is reputation. So I give those forms of media my time and attention because I want to learn from the mistakes. So that through the work of the Spirit, not on my own, but through the work of the Spirit, I can do my dead level best to avoid them. So the overarching theme for me, from my perspective, as I hear about these mega pastors falling from stardom is this. That they cared too much about their own reputation, either building it or protecting it, to confess their sins and have no reputation apart from Jesus. Can we put up Philippians 2 again? You know what? I'm going to go off the cuff. Can we read this together? All right, I'll start. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, not usually, confession, not usually much on the New King James, but like that really drove it home for me. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus made himself of a bad reputation or a questionable reputation. Like, let's get those thoughts out of our minds. He didn't even say that he made himself of a good reputation, but simply no reputation. See, that is that reputation, image, prestige, power, prominence, and other trappings of leadership were not only devalued by Jesus, but that they were purposely dismissed. See, this is the challenge for us. For we have come to believe that, de- that the development of a good reputation is part and parcel of living a holy and ethical life. But in that assumption lies an insidious temptation. See, reputation and pride are so closely linked that oftentimes it's difficult for us to consider one without the other. See, when we're concerned about our reputation, we cannot help but be attentive to what people think of us sensitive to criticism, and always on guard to protect a wrong notion or unfair judgment of our work and character. See, this leads us to hide sin in our lives, to be desperate to protect something that we see as valuable and not be our own irrelevant, vulnerable selves. See, this is my lesson and warning, church. Find people whom you love and trust and who love and trust Jesus to keep you accountable. I don't trust myself in a vacuum. But Dad, I wasn't going to say this, but Dad told me this growing up, that if, thanks Dad, that uh, if, if you're convinced you're right and everybody else around you is telling you you're wrong, chances are you're wrong. See, I don't trust myself in a vacuum and neither should you. See, God wants us to have community and not just to love and affirm us. Ooh, that's rough. 
He also wants community to correct us when we're wrong. Justin Miller asked this question in one of our town halls, and it's something that stuck with me. I told him I was giving him a shout-out today. I hope he doesn't mind, but I never even read a Bible, so this is completely new to him, too. But he asked a, he asked a good question. With membership, it was in one of our town halls. So with membership, who are we subject to? Who, who holds us accountable? Are we submitting to him or them, or what's that look like? And that's something that stuck with me, because that's the beauty of Canvas community. In a couple of weeks when we do charter membership, we're not asking you to submit to Ryan. We're not asking you to submit to the, the governance board or to the denomination. We're asking that you submit to the community that we are each accountable to each other. See, oftentimes with membership, the question is raised, what perks do I get? Right? You join a golf course, you want perks. But with this membership, the question that would be more applicable would be, oh, I love these people, what can I do? What's, that's the heart of the Christian community. It's not, what do I get? but what can I do, especially for these people that I want to do community with? How can lives be impacted not just by me, but by Jesus through me? Reputation and pride are so closely linked that I, again, think it's difficult for us to consider one without the other. Church, may we be seatbelt Christians that so badly want Jesus that we're not only willing to talk about Jesus, but we're willing to lay aside our pride and reputation to follow him more closely. So what does that mean for you? I love the practical applications. I broke this into a couple groups, so hopefully you find yourself in one of them. Do you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, someone who submits to his lordship over your life? The practical exercise is this. And like any good speaker, I've broken it into three easy note-taking points. What are some areas in your life that you're holding on to in fear that if it comes to light, your reputation could be ruined? Remember, you can't be accused of something that's been confessed. In Galatians 5.1, the Apostle Paul talks about the freedom in Christ has set us free and not to be burdened again by slavery. So I'd ask you, are you truly free in Christ? Or do you have some hidden sin that's keeping you in slavery? I'd like to I like to do this myself. I like to form a philosophical argument to help me understand things. Um, most of the time I want people to poke holes in their own argument and it makes it more concrete for me. So here is my argument. I'm telling you the wrestle that I have with my flesh almost on a daily basis. Short term, confession's gonna suck. But long term, I believe there's freedom. See, no more hiding your sins or your past. You can take off the mask that lets the world think that you've got it all together. Being truly free in Christ. Short term of hiding something might seem like some false sense of security, but that yoke and burden will grow heavier and heavier as, as long as it's hidden. Because you'll always fear it coming to light and ruining that reputation you've built. Two, can people see the reputation of Jesus through your willingness to be vulnerable, authentic, gracious, and loving? Not just here. That's the easy part. But when you are at work, school, when you go out to eat, when you interact with the outside world, are you spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just with words, but with actions? And three, I want you guys to do this. Uh, we talk, I talked to, I just came up in a class I'm taking recently, but I want you to check your moral compass. You, live a, you want to live a pious life because that's what good Christians do. 
Or do you want to have, or because you want to have a reputation to uphold? Or do you live a, or do you strive to live a pious life because, like that seatbelt Christian, you understand that without Jesus, you would have no hope. You'd be dead and lost in your sins. Be authentic about where that comes from, not self-righteous. Remember, we can either further the kingdom of God in this world, or we can be the biggest stumbling block to it. Hashtag seatbelt Christian. I thought that would get worse. <laughs> All right, we got to get serious. All right, so if you are here today and you can, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry for some of the negative experiences you've had around church and church people, but I'm thankful for you being here. I'll be the first to admit we don't always do this thing that Jesus called us to well. And I can't speak to what someone else has done, but Lord knows I've made my fair share of mistakes. I think he's called you here for a reason. I encourage you to give this church thing a try, even if it's not here. I don't think, I use this phrase a lot, and I really like it, but I don't think the Canvas community has a monopoly on the gospel in Winchester. We truly just want you to connect with Jesus, trusting in his transforming power in the resurrection and lordship over your life, which brings salvation. And finding a community that of faith to be intimately involved in. I'm not even upset if you give it a timeline. For me, I needed it. I needed six months. And, and that was six months for, before our wedding. And uh, next month, me and Samantha will celebrate 11 years married. That the church has been an important part of our lives. See, my, my hope and prayer is that you find a community of authentic people who genuinely love Jesus and are trying their best to follow him. I'll leave you with this today before having Ryan come up to lead us in communion, that we believe salvation is both an event and a process, and if the Holy Spirit is leading you to either start today this life of dedication and service to him, or to lay something aside that you've had hidden, to lay it at the feet of the cross, I encourage you to find somebody to talk to. I'll be available, Ryan, many other, many others of us. Because at the end of the day, that's why we're here. Thank you, guys.